everybody. Welcome back to Woe is Media for the week. Alyssa and Annabelle here. We've got good lineup of stories for you. Alyssa, what have you got for us? So obviously today, based on last week's historic run at the Academy Awards, I am going to be doing a little tiny recap of what transpired mm-hmm. and kind of an update on a previous story that we did. We have a we have an announcement from the Recording Academy about what's going to be happening at the Grammys in the future. Ooh, okay. So we got double award show stuff going on. Yes. What about That'll you? Be good. I have a story about Verizon and what they may or may not be doing with their uh, with their media-based assets. And then I'm also going to kind of talk about sort of the state of the union with the American economy. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of data that's come out recently. There's been a lot of like discussions about like, are we still in a recession? You know, the stock market's doing well. What does that mean for everyday people? So I kind of just packaged it into a nice little summary with all the data I could find that I thought I could update everybody with, with what's kind of going on and what to maybe expect going forward. Ooh. Yeah, so that's that's what we're here for, packaging the news and making it a little bit more attainable. Yes. So I'll get us started. Um, the first story I have is uh, appropriately named, Woe is Verizon's Media. Hey! <laughs> yeah, couldn't resist throwing our name in there. But um, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense when I get into the details here. So Verizon Wireless, the biggest wireless cell phone provider in the USA is in talks to sell me- its media assets for between four and $5 billion. Wow. Um, yeah, and the sale could potentially potentially close as soon as next week. They're really trying to get these off their books. Okay. Um, so when I talk about media assets, I mean, it, it's obviously not like their cell phone towers or like their Verizon retail stores or any sort of their 5G platforms or anything like that. It's just, their division that includes Yahoo as well as AOL. So right now they have been in talks with a private equity group called Apollo Global Management that is definitely involved in the sale. We don't know if they're gonna get everything or just a portion of it. A lot of the details of the deal are still kind of not really out there for the general public yet, but it seems like Apollo is involved right now and they're talking to some other PE firms too. So they really wanna divest or get rid of all of their non-core assets So anything that doesn't have to do with kind of their wireless space, they kind of want to get rid of that and focus on the wireless spectrum and it's high speed wireless internet, because they just think that's kind of where the future is going. They think 5G is obviously going to be the next big project that the really everybody in any industry, anyone with the cell phone, which is effectively everybody right now, they just think that's kind of a better use of their money and their time. And that's where most of their strengths are anyway. So Yeah, they are looking to sell off their Yahoo and AOL division. So originally, they bought these companies like at a combined total of more than $9 billion. So they're going to be taking like roughly a 50% loss when they do sell this, assuming Mm -hmm. they do kind of land in that four to $5 billion range. And they originally were trying to build up its media assets to kind of compete and like the consumer internet division and kind of generate some ad revenue in that space because obviously we know Google has a ton of that because of YouTube and all of its other platforms. And Facebook has a ton of that because of Facebook and Instagram and how much time people spend on those websites. And Facebook and Google really sort of have a duopoly on kind of that ad revenue space. Um, and Verizon was like, hey, we're gonna try and get in on this. 
And we know that AOL and we know that Yahoo have not been um, <laughs> the most popular websites in a long time, uh, maybe the 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to put a timestamp on it, but if you insist. I mean, yeah, I think we should put a timestamp on it, right? I mean, Verizon was pretty convinced that they could kind of correct the ship here a little bit and make it AOL and make Yahoo more user-friendly and just a little bit more popular with uh, the average media consumer on the internet. And um, mm-hmm. and they were unfortunately wrong. <laughs> Those divisions really were not getting the web traffic that really the other popular websites we were just talking about we're getting. So it kind of has been slowly unwinding its media assets for a few years now. Um, it sold off the Huffington Post a few years ago. BuzzFeed bought that. Um, and BuzzFeed bought that? BuzzFeed bought the Huffington Post, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and the creators of WordPress actually bought Tumblr from Verizon. Alyssa, were you on Tumblr back in the day? Oh, honey, I had like two separate accounts. I I was big on the Tumblr spectrum. Me too. I was on the fandom side. And then I was also on like, I guess it was- Swimmers. Like, what? Swimmers. We don't have to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I say for of- what. I just said you were a fan of swimmers maybe uh, <laughs> uh and then yeah i had i had more of like a style personal blog on on tumblr but i, I think they're still active i never deactivated the accounts it's should. funny you say that because i literally my main account was for like fashion and beauty and my other one was for my fandom thing so yes. i think uh there's like different sides of tumblr just as there's different sides of tiktok and twitter oh, and absolutely you can always find your niche on the internet Yeah, so Tumblr was part of the Verizon family for a while too, and that's been sold off to the owners of WordPress, which kind of makes sense. I mean, WordPress is a blogging site and, you know, that's what Tumblr is. Yeah. So it makes the most sense, Um, but it's been kind of unsuccessful in its quest to kind of get into the digital media space. It bought AOL in 2015 and it bought Yahoo in 2017, um, and it kind of merged the two into a media company under Verizon's umbrella called Oath. And it sort of wanted to revive these brands that had lost all that web traffic, but they still had hundreds of millions of account holders. Now, I don't know about you, but I had a Yahoo Mail account back in middle school and it's still active. Same. And it probably has 20,000 unread emails from like J. Crew and. Yeah, all my spam <laughs> stuff goes yeah, to my all the Yahoo spam account. stuff. So I don't know. And I guess Verizon maybe doesn't necessarily know that, but just because you have a bunch of users doesn't mean they're active users. Ooh, Um, I don't mean it like that, but we know that Yahoo Answers is no longer a thing anymore either. RIP. I I know, right? That got shut down. Um, I, I will say the best part of Yahoo's platform, in my opinion, is I'm biased with the finance division of it. Yeah. They've got some pretty good news. It's a really easy place to look up stock prices and kind of like general company financials and stuff like that if you don't need all the granular detail. But um, that's my favorite part of the Yahoo suite. <laughs> this is the most random thing ever. But did you ever see that viral video um, called like, Am I Pregnant? No. Okay, so sorry to get off topic really quick, but it was literally just a video of Yahoo Answers. Mm-hmm. People asking the platform if they were pregnant but every single person or submission that was involved in this video misspelled pregnant like oh it was like gosh. am i pregnant 
am I pregnant? Can you get pregante? Like it was so, <laughs> it was the funniest video. I still watch it every now and then I'll have to send you a link, but it is. Please do. Man, that's, that's funny. I mean, to be fair, pregnant is not a most intuitive word to spell correctly. No, it's not, but it's it, the, the creativity when it came to the misspellings was just out of this world. Anyways, continue. No. <laughs> Rip Yahoo answers. We, we wish we had gotten to know you better. <laughs> And I hope people figured out if they're pregnant or not. I hope uh, so. But yeah, so it bought these brands to kind of revive them and, you know, hopefully get that web traffic back up so they could get in on kind of the ad revenue space. But they were able to get some ad revenue money, but they really struggled to reach the audiences because like AOL is a website. It's not like an app or anything like that. And Yahoo has like a mail app. But again, really, it's more of a website. And websites really just aren't like, if you don't have an app version for people's smartphones or tablets or anything like that, it's just been really hard to kind of compete in that internet space Mm -hmm. as of late. So it ended up not being the best investment for Verizon. Um, So within the Yahoo division, you know, they had Yahoo Finance, as we said, Yahoo Mail, um, TechCrunch, which is kind of like a tech news website, and another website called Engadget. Um, so yeah, that's kind of everything that was under their umbrella in 2020, their revenue was down 5.6% due to ad pullbacks early on in the pandemics. And that's since rebounded. Um, but Verizon has kind of decided like, this is still not really where we want to be. This is not, we don't have the resources or the time or really the interest in kind of putting in what we need to put into the media side of things to kind of make it flourish. We'd rather just kind of focus on our partnerships and, you know, Verizon wireless as a service. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen like commercials where Verizon has like a partnership with like Disney plus and Hulu. Like if you go get a new cell phone from Verizon, yeah, you can get like, get Disney and Hulu on us, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm pretty Um, sure my, that's how my brother has Disney plus. So yeah, they're big on the bundles right now. You can kind of bundle it with your home internet and your cell phone plan and everything like that. Um, but this is a pretty good timing for Verizon to kind of sell this stuff because it could really raise money because it's such a time where like valuations, especially for tech companies, they're, they're sky high right now. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's going to reap the entire $9 billion it's spent to obtain these companies. But it probably is going to get a pretty good chunk of change for it, which is definitely a good thing. Um, so it's it's good timing. I mean, there's never a bad time to focus on yourself. And that's, no. that's what Verizon is doing. They're trying to focus on just kind of expanding its wireless business and the 5G rollout. Um, but what I also thought was interesting in talking about the sale of this is if you look at, so Verizon's main competitor is obviously AT&T. Mm-hmm both in the wireless space and, you know, AT&T is in the media space too. Like they acquired Time Warner, Warner Media a few years ago. um, And that obviously has HBO Max. So that's kind of their like entertainment parallel that AT&T has. Um, And, you know, they, they had direct TV for a while. They ended up selling it off fairly recently because cable TV is just like not the move. Like nobody in our generation has cable TV. I don't think Gen Z would have it either. Do you have cable TV? I do have cable TV, but mostly because of uh, specific shows that I want to watch live. Mm-hmm. And so I have it too, actually, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> so yeah, rude. Most millennials do not still have cable. They um, don't. 
I only have it because it was free with my apartment, so I may as well use it. See, there you go. Free is and I pay for it within my rent. But but yeah, so AT&T, like they are not trying to get out of the media space. They kind of have their hands in a lot of different pots right now. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if Verizon kind of takes the lead a little bit on the 5G rollout um, and everything like that. I need to do some more research on 5G because I was under the impression it was already rolled out. Because when I look at my phone, it says 5G. Huh. Um, and I don't know if that's like available everywhere. And sometimes it doesn't say 5G, but I guess I was under the impression this is like already an active thing that people are using. 5G is a weird tunnel to dive into in my opinion because I remember a few years ago people talking like it was like some unobtainable goal that we could never reach and now it's like oh yeah no this is absolutely going to happen in our lifetime and I'm like what (laughs) yeah that's that's what I found confusing about it and I mean maybe I'm just like not a patient person in general but I can't really say I noticed that big of a difference in the speed between 4g and 5g um but I also just am not the most like tech tech savvy person paying attention to all that anyway. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what I have on Verizon. Um, it's getting getting AOL and it's getting Yahoo off the books. Um, a lot of the private equity companies, just in general, what private equity companies like to do is they like to purchase kind of like either failing businesses or like kind of forgotten, abandoned business divisions of other companies, which is what they're obviously doing here with Verizon. Um, And they basically like to swoop in and come to the rescue and restructure everything and like hire and fire a bunch of people and shift the focus, reallocate assets. And then they basically like to give the company like a whole full-fledged makeover and try and make it into something that is a little bit more sustainable. So we'll have to see if AOL and if Yahoo kind of get a little bit more of a bounce back once someone else owns them. Makeover, 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 makeover. If anyone's ever saying clone high, hit me up. <laughs> I think they would have to do some pretty serious work on AOL, especially to kind of get it. Yeah, no I, offense to AOL, but... Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, that's something that... I mean, those, were, those sites were popular in, like, the dial-up internet era. In fact... When you say AOL, that's immediately what I think of. Is like the like the dial up. Mm-hmm. And if you go to AOL.com right now, it looks like essentially the same as Yahoo. Like it just has some generic news up. You can look at your horoscope. You can look at the weather. Your horoscope. Your horoscope. Yeah, you want me to read yours too? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. We'll see if AOL does end up getting a Facebook once it's taken over and if Apollo Global Management ends up being the private equity firm that kind of takes it on. But um, yeah, AOL and Yahoo, we wish you the best. Cheers. Cheers indeed. Okay, so moving into my second story, let's go over the state of the economic union in the USA, Alyssa. I'm ready. So slight apologies in advance. There's going to be a lot of numbers in this one um, just because we have a lot of data. So hopefully that's not too dry for anyone, but we'll kind of talk about like what the numbers mean and like how- I love numbers. I do too. Yeah, that's why I work in finance to have a business podcast. That's why (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) So we've gotten a lot of economic data recently from, you know, different different areas of- um, of the executive branch and different 
you know, the Fed, Jay Powell, he had some stuff to say this week. So we'll get into our boy Jay Powell. But heck yeah. Oh, yeah. So obviously in the business world, the calendar is kind of divided into quarters. So the first three months of the year represent the first quarter, and then the next three months represent the second quarter. So it's currently May 2nd at the time of this recording. So we are in the second quarter. And usually around like late April is when we start to get sort of that's when a lot of companies report their earnings from the first quarter. And it's also when the USA reports kind of a lot of their economic data from the first quarter. So that's why all of this is coming out right now, because, you know, enough time has passed or they've able, been able to collect everything from the first quarter and kind of synthesize it for us. Mm-hmm. But the first quarter gross domestic product increased 6.4% this past okay. quarter, which is, which is exciting. Um, we've been in a recession since COVID has begun. And remember, a recession is two straight quarters of GDP decline. Yes. So it's good to see it go back up, which means we're slowly coming out of this recession. Um, And reminder for anyone who hasn't been in an econ class in a while, the gross domestic product is the sum of all goods and services that have been produced in the American economy. This is the best period for for the GDP growth since the third quarter of 2003. So it's been a while since we've seen this level of growth in the United States, which is pretty exciting. Um, And it really signals that the economy is coming back up and running and it can potentially really be a boom year. Like a lot of banks and a lot of economists are really honestly predicting another roaring 20s. Cue the panic at the disco song and Gatsby. Except it did. LJ Gatsby. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so... That's, um, that's kind of been what's going on with the GDP. Um, the American consumer is obviously like the main driver of the GDP growth because they're the ones doing the spending. They account for over 60% of the GDP, like the American consumers like as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been really kind of powering the growth. And a lot of that has come from, you know, the economic stimulus aid. People have been able to spend a little bit more and pay their bills and things like that. So that's all been very helpful. Um, and businesses, we've seen corporate earnings. A lot of businesses have really been just going gangbusters. I mean, like Amazon had its most profitable quarter ever, ever. Ever. They've made a whole lot of money. So, and then they're not the only ones. I mean, Apple's been doing incredibly well. They've been crushed it with sales. Like a lot of corporations have just been doing really, really well. Um, so and businesses are like continuing to further investment in themselves and like, really focus on their models and efficiencies and improvements and things like that. So it's good to see that all that is happening kind of at a corporate level because it will hopefully benefit consumers as well. Um, And it all kind of adds to the overall picture of the American economy. Um, Jobless claims have fallen to the lowest levels since the pandemic has started, but they're still a little bit bigger than expected. Um, Right now we're at about six-ish percent unemployment rate, give or take a few quarter percentage points but you know so it's not it was like around three percent prior to COVID starting but you know it reached over 10 percent at one point so it's good to see that it's come down a little bit because you know for every person who makes up that percentage it's somebody out of work and is struggling to you know pay their bills and put food on the table and whatever the situation is so we definitely we definitely want low unemployment you got to look at the humanity side of all this too Yes. And it's never going to be like a sharp contrast after such a year that we've had, like, we're never going to bounce back quickly. Like this is a process that takes 
like years and years to recover from. And even the progress that we've made now is very impressive, but it's, it, it takes time. Yeah, definitely. Rome wasn't built in a day. The American economy is not going to rebound in a day either. I mean, Amen. It's 330 million people affected. It's not going to help everybody overnight. So no. we got to be a little bit more patient, but there is a lot of like good things that are thankfully in the works. Um, personal consumption has been up. Fixed residential and non-residential investment has gone up. And obviously, as we've seen with all of these bills that President Biden has been passing and introducing, government spending has gone up. Yes. So those are all positive things. Um, the government spending, as well as the mass vaccinations and the unprecedented, unprecedented amount of stimulus aid that has been coming in from Congress, those have really been kind of contributing here to the increased consumer spending. Um, people are feeling more comfortable going back out because they have a little extra money in their pocket and maybe they got a Moderna or a Pfizer or a J&J shot and they're like, hey, like I can go to a restaurant now. I can hey. go to all you know, whatever their situation is. Um, so that's kind of why consumer spending has been up. But I do think it's important to note that consumer spending, it kind of, it breaks down into a bunch of different categories, but the area that's seen the most growth has been durable goods. So this, these are things like appliances, so like refrigerators, like TVs, like really hard, tangible, big ticket items that you would buy for personal consumption those have gone up. And as we've seen, and it makes perfect sense when you think about what's going on in the world, services have been going down. Yes. So people are not, you know, going to nail salons all the time. They're not going to travel agencies to book big trips. They're not, why are you laughing at me? Did you go to a nail salon recently? Well, I did, and I did it safely, but remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the mayor of my specific town got in hot water because she went to a nail salon. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, homegirl had to get her nails done. What are you gonna Becky do? Becky with the good nails. That's what she's known around town as. But we just had um, a mayoral election yesterday, so she's no longer in the running. But anyways, continue. Or did she lose? No, she decided not to run, which honestly was a good uh, move for her. She's been mayor since 07. Like, she's good. Time to move on. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's funny. But um. Yeah, so it's been like durable goods and services. Like we've seen people buying like Pelotons because nobody wants to go to a gym. So they're not buying gym memberships, but they're buying home workout equipment and stuff like that. So there's been a 41.4% spike in spending on durable goods. So that's a pretty big bump. Um, another good portion is a lot of people don't talk about this, but there's very much a savings crisis in America. Like very few people have enough if any savings put away for emergencies, like if they were to get laid off or something like that. Um, and that's definitely a big problem. And part of the issue with that is wages have not kept up with the cost of living, but that's a topic for another day. Um, Where's <laughs> the tea? Thankfully in the last quarter, savings in America have increased from 13% to 21%. So that's also a pretty big bump. It means that roughly you know, 21 cents of every dollar people earn has been put away into savings, which is a good thing. Um, more savings means that that'll have, that people will have more cash for future spending when they, you know, deem it appropriate to. Um, and thankfully, as restrictions continue to ease up and vaccines continue to increase, people will maybe start spending a little bit more of their savings or, you know, just use it for like other forms of personal investment, which is also a good thing. Um, trade internationally has lagged and that makes a lot of sense because, well, as we know, 
the U.S. was very much like behind the curve in taking COVID super seriously and locking everything down, and they were yeah. very quick, yeah, and they were very quick to reopen. Um, yeah. But with the vaccines, I mean, no other country right now has vaccinated nearly as many people as the states have. So that's been definitely a positive change and a positive improvement. True. But because we're opening up more and because our vaccine rollout is a lot faster than other countries, it kind of means that we're going to be importing things for a while as opposed to exporting because there's just not a lot of demand from other countries to buy American products right now because they can't. Like, they don't need it. They don't have the money for it. So Makes trade inter- trade internationally is probably going to be an area that's kind of lagging for a while because we're just not, you know, able to sell our stuff. So they have not yet, like American economists, they've not yet declared an end to the recession um, that's kind of begun with COVID because GDP is still below the previous peak that it was at. But, and we're still kind of at a 6% unemployment rate. So obviously those are two metrics that we would still need to see improve before they declare kind of the end of an economic recession here. Um, but Jay Powell has kind of given his his input on it. He has said that economic recovery, while positive, remains uneven and far from complete. By uneven, he means there are a lot of people who are still, you know, very much suffering. Um, I think President Biden talked about this earlier this week, but a lot of millionaires and billionaires have seen their net worth grow, you know, into the trillions, like in total. You um, know, so casual. A lot of people are, yeah, just casual trillions of dollars. So a lot of people are doing really, really well, um, but there are definitely people who have been forgotten about, um, but also have just not been able to rebound as quickly as some others, just based on their circumstances. So it's important not to forget about those people. Um, You know, it's never going to be 100%. Everyone is not always going to have a job all the time. That's just not, like, possible, numerically speaking. But it doesn't mean that we can't do better. He wants everyone to improve a little bit more. But Jay Powell has said that he's going to keep short-term interest rates near zero, which is where they currently are. He's not going to move them. He's like, nope, this is not, we do not need to touch this right now. Uh, He gave no indication that the Fed is going to change any of their current plans with what they've been doing. He's a little bit worried about inflationary pressures, but he thinks it's mostly going to be like one-time increases as opposed to like steadily creeping up and up and up. So he maybe up, then it's up, then it's up, then it's stuck. That's right. Um, I will tell you what's up is coffee prices, which is unfortunate because oh no, that's something I buy too far often. So I was about to say Annabelle's going to be struggling. She's going to be sitting in the corner of a room with um, her hair all messed up, just scratching herself for the coffee. Yeah, with a caffeine headache, rocking back and forth. Yes. (laughs) Um. But yeah, so it's, it might be smart to think about one-time increases for what you're buying regularly, but hopefully it's not, you're not going to see them tack on like 50 cents here, a dollar here, $1.20 there, you know, hopefully it'll just be one pop and that'll kind of like take care of it a little bit. Nice. Um, and that's, that's still going to happen because it's going to have like a transitory effect. Um, there's been a 2.6% consumer price increase in March, which is more than we've seen in the past couple of quarters. Um, 
And j has also kind of encouraged continued support to keep up the boost. So like there's no big pullback or anything like that. He hopes the government, he's basically saying, well, he didn't directly say this. And we know that he's not supposed to comment on policy. But I would imagine that if you got him alone and said, hey, j like, do you think the American people should get another stimulus check? My guess personally would be that he would say yes. Get <laughs> <laughs> the American consumer back out there and like spending more. That's what I think. You would know more than I. <laughs> um, and as we know, certain economic areas were hit hardest by the pandemic, like travel, obviously, and a lot of the service industry, things in the entertainment industry, like concerts, um, you know, anything like that, like museums, like national monuments, stuff like that. Um, a lot of those were hit really hard and those are still struggling. So I think that's also kind of why we haven't seen a declaration to the end of the recession, even though we've been getting promising data. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's been kind of a surge in other areas though, like the housing sector, there's been a huge surge there. Um, there's been a big increased demand for houses. I mean, people are home all the time and they're like, oh my goodness, this place is tiny. I need more space. <laughs> so we've been seeing a big increase in people wanting houses and there's been a short supply of houses. There's been a very shortage, there's very much been a shortage of home building materials. So places are not being able to build, be built fast enough to kind of keep up with that demand. So that's why you're seeing really high home prices right now. It's very much a seller's market. People are getting into bidding wars left and right. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm not trying to buy a house right now. I think that's Amen. Like, I think that sounds like a nightmare. Um, but kind of the big portion of the economy that has been like missing, so to speak, transportation services. So like that would be like Uber and Lyft and taxis. Like nobody's really getting into those right now. Um, taking metros and stuff like that. If people are able to work from home, they're probably doing that. And they're not taking the normal commutes anymore recreational services, restaurants and hotels, those are all down 31%. And that's kind of a gap of 430 billion in economic activity that we just like don't have in the economy right now. So that's a pretty big gap. Um, There has been a big surge in information technology, which kind of makes sense because obviously Zoom and other like ways over the internet, it's kind of a good way to stay connected. So it makes sense that people would wanna kind of invest in computers and maybe faster internet things like that. Um, I know I had to get a couple of monitors for work because I was not trying to work on my laptop like this for a couple of years when I normally just have like two monitors in my office. Um, so that's been an area where there's been a little bit more surge. There's been a pullback in the energy sector because people are not driving as much and businesses are not producing as much. So there's kind of been less oil and gas demand. And there's kind of been a pullback on oil extraction too, because there's too much in supply and not enough demand to meet it. So at one point during the pandemic, oil prices per barrel actually went negative. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Meaning they were just like giving it away (laughs) because they just had too much of it. Um, And there's been a pullback in state and local government spending. So that's kind of been everything that's sort of collectively going on in the economy right now. Um, so a little a little bit more quickly on Jay Powell before I wrap up this story here. So he is up for renomination. I don't know if you know that. So Fed chairs, they serve four-year terms. Um, he was elected or he was appointed like at the end of 2017 by President Trump. Um, 
and he has been in power at the Federal Reserve ever since then, but he is up for renomination in early 2022. So he's got a little less than a year left. Um, and presidents, they typically reveal their pick like the summer or the fall beforehand. So people will start to know like who's going to start to be in charge of the Fed and the market can kind of process that information more slowly as opposed to like all at once people are like oh no like this person's in charge of the Fed let's sell everything you know mm-hmm. just to kind of control you know the market volatility a little bit more but a lot of Wall Street is banking on Jay Powell keeping his job 76% of officials on Wall Street believe that Jerome Powell will stay the Fed chairman um so yeah, we'll, we'll see if he does keep his job. A lot of people think he should keep his job. Um, I'm also in that boat. He did a nice interview with 60 Minutes a few weeks ago, and I think he's just a very smart guy. He's one of my economic crushes. So <laughs> I, I like Jay Powell. <laughs> I think he was a pretty good pick by, by Mr. Trump. Um, I will admit to that, but yeah. So hopefully we will continue to be on the up and up. Um, I think we'll probably end up seeing more government spending going forward. A lot of Americans really back the big government spending right now. Um, even if you didn't historically, you know, just with the state of everything, people do want help and they do want that assistance and stuff like that. Um, and there's been a little bit more swing for more government assistance and things. Um, we've seen Biden introduce, you know, his infrastructure plan. Obviously, they passed that big COVID relief package. Biden announced another plan this week about the American Families Act, which he thinks is going to, you know, provide a little bit more aid in tax credit for kids and, you know, universal preschool and more childcare assistance and paid maternal leave and things like that, that, you know, a lot of countries already have, but we don't. Mm-hmm. Really so um, we'll have to see what happens with that. I think that's going to be another thing that Congress will have to potentially pass with reconciliation. Um, and we'll definitely keep you guys updated on that going forward. I didn't want to talk about it this week because I've covered a lot of President Biden's plans already. And I didn't want to just make this the Joe Biden show because <laughs> as cool as he is and as busy as Joe Biden is, this is, you know, not not a Joe Biden podcast completely. So he's not, sadly. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of what's been going on in the American economy. I think if people just continue to be as safe as they can with COVID, you know, go get vaccinated, wash your hands, wear your mask when you go out. I think, um, please. Yeah, please. I think we will hopefully come out of this in one piece. Um, you know, save your money when you can spend your money when you'd like to. Um, and yeah, just be a smart consumer. We will come out of this with good economic data and no longer be in a recession. We're your moms. Please make good decisions. Decisions, honey. All right, Alyssa, what you got? Let's talk about the Oscars. All right, let's go. Um, the 93rd Academy Awards were held last Sunday. I ended up sleeping through them, but I did wake up in the middle of the night to check how I was doing. And I was doing pretty good when I went to bed. And I woke up, turns out I had the best track record that I've ever had when it came to predicting the winners. I only got four wrong. Golf claps, good for you. Thank you. However... <laughs> We have to get down to logistics of it first. Mm-hmm. It was the least viewed on record Academy Awards in the history of the show. Well, you didn't watch it, so I know that accounts for a lot. <laughs> I felt bad because when I read that, I was like, shit, I could have, you know, contributed to it, but I was tired. It had overall 10.4 million viewers, 
which just to give you an idea, the most viewed ceremony in the history of the show's history <laughs> was viewed by 54 million people. Wow. Yes. Do you want to take a guess as to which year pulled in that many viewers? Historically, when would be a time where people would really want to watch what's going on in Hollywood? Think about like a really popular movie. Titanic? Uh-huh. Yes. 70th Academy Awards in 1998 when Titanic took home the big prize. And they've said, like, the AMPAs have said on record, like, that was the main reason that so many people tuned in because they wanted to see, like, how the popularity with the quote-unquote common people of Titanic really factored into how uh, the Academy mm-hmm. awarded the Knights um, Awards. So... As I mentioned before, this year's ceremony was split between Los Angeles's Union Station as well as the Dolby Theater, where it's normally taking place. Union Station, in my opinion, looked great, and I loved the setup of the awards. I it was it cool. Looked- it almost so I did actually watch it, because <gasps> I didn't have to go to bed from my night shift. But I thought <laughs> it looked it it was it looked very intimate. Like it was obviously a much smaller ceremony. And instead of like a big theater, everyone was in like these booths with like these nice tables. And it was very looked, Golden Globes, like yeah, very, it looked like, like a booth situation. Yeah, which I it looked like they were at a jazz club for the night, and they were all just kind of like it sitting did. there. Like, oh, so oh yeah, God. I kind of liked it. I loved it. So we're gonna get into some of the history makers of the night because there were actually a decent many. Mia Neal and Jamika Wilson of Ma Rainey made history as the first black women to ever win best makeup and hairstyling claps for them i i'm pretty sure i voted for them last week i think you predicted that one yes okay good i was big ma rainy stan oh you were my queen yunya jung is the first asian woman since 1958 to win an acting oscar And she's the first Korean woman to ever win Best Supporting Actress. Yes, that was awesome. She's so cool. This follows, I know you probably won't know who this is, but Miyoshi Yameki, who won in 1958 for the movie Sayonara. I'm familiar with her because I actually did a project in my senior year of college on Flower Drum Song. Are you familiar with that musical slash movie? I am not. Okay, so... Flower Drum Song is honestly one of the coolest films, in my opinion. It is not without its faults, but I think it's so cool because it gives a mostly Asian cast this platform to talk about their problems and their struggles. It takes place in Chinatown in San Francisco, and it's so beautifully done. Like, it's a musical, so there's, like, very elaborate sets and costume designs and all but Miyoshi Yomeki was also in Flower Drum Song which is how I knew who she was and I just Mm -hmm. needed to shout her out because she's awesome she had a really cool history okay so Glenn Close danced to Dabut are you familiar with Dabut (laughs) (laughs) okay so Dabut was in a Spike Lee film I believe it was School Days back in the 90s and she kind of just like spit knowledge about her knowing about Spike Lee's filmography and whatnot. And a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, look at Glenn Close. Like, in fact, someone asked me like, did she end up winning? I saw her, she was in the headlines. And I was like, no, she didn't win anything. She, she didn't was win just, anything. But she she had just fun. stealing the show in the background. 
Okay, so now I'm going to get into a few of the critiques that I had. There were no nominee clips this year when it came to like, this is who is nominated for this award, as well as normally through the night of an Academy Award ceremony, they give like little, you know, summaries about what each best picture is about and then they'll show clips from it they didn't do that this year which in my opinion was detrimental because this is a year where you know we didn't go to the movies a lot and a lot of the films that are normally nominated at the academy awards are not necessarily films that once again, quote unquote, the average person is viewing Mm -hmm. on their night in, you know, they're not tuning in to see like Nomadland or The Father. Maybe you are, you know, we're not saying everybody, but some. And I thought, you know, especially with the type of films that are being presented, these clips could have helped the audience better understand the standings in which these nominations were placed. Um, But that's just a personal critique that I had. The In Memoriam also suffered from lack of clips. Like normally, you know, for the bigger names that people are familiar with, they have like little clips from their careers and they didn't this year. And also watching it back, it was too fast. And in a way I felt that was slightly disrespectful to those that had passed. And I was just like, give them more time, you know, like. Yeah, I I do remember seeing that. I, I felt like it went pretty quickly too. And I thought maybe that just had to do with the fact that maybe we hadn't lost that many people. But really, when you think back on it, we did. We did. We did. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a pretty spot on critique. You want to be respectful there. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're going to get to the man of the night, aka my bracket buster, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Huge upset over Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. No one that I could see in reviews of the Academy Awards picked this. I'm not saying that Sir Anthony Hopkins was at all a terrible performance this year for The Father, but no one could have predicted this over Chadwick Boseman. And I love Anthony Hopkins. I think he is phenomenal. He is one of my favorite actors of all time, if I had to name a few, but I just didn't think his performance held up to the standard that Chadwick Boseman said. And also maybe I'm just playing into the respect category because Chadwick Boseman is no longer with us, but you know, it's my personal opinion and I can say that because it's my podcast. It sounds, I don't know. I didn't watch the father. I heard incredible things about Sir Anthony Hopkins performance. Yes. And obviously he is, I don't mean to sound morbid, but like he is an old man. So maybe he doesn't have a ton of performances left. And that's why the Academy maybe felt like this is a great opportunity for him to win. But at the same time, like Chadwick Boseman is no longer with us and he doesn't have any more opportunities to provide any more movies that may or may not get nominated. So I don't know if that's a gamble I would have taken had I been a voting member of the Academy. It's funny you say that because Anthony Hopkins has now set the record for the oldest person to win an acting Oscar, like oldest living person to win an Mm -hmm. acting Oscar. Mm -hmm. He surpassed Christopher Plummer, who took home the award in, I believe, 2012 for Beginners. He was 82 at the time, and he is actually 
just a few years younger than the Academy. Christopher Plummer was born in 1929 and the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences was created in 1927. And I only say that because when he won for his role in Beginners, it was so cute. He got up there and like held his statuette and he was like, honey, you're only two years older than me. Where have you been all my life? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I love Christopher Plummer. I'm going to miss him dearly. Oh, that man. But yeah, so that was kind of cool. I believe Anthony Hopkins is currently 83. So I hope he has more room to perform for us. But you know, if not, this is a pretty good, you know, way to end your career. Not saying that he's going to die immediately, but if he chooses to retire, yeah, you know, absolutely. it's a pretty good place to jump off of. Yeah. End on a high note. Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. So Emerald Fennell took home the award for best original screenplay 13 years after the last woman to do so, which was Diablo Cody for, do you want to guess what movie? I have no idea. So please enlighten me. Do you know who Diablo Cody is? I don't. <gasps> Jacques Hughes. Uh, she took it home for Juno. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So awesome for her. Chloe Zhao, woman of the night, woman of the century, it becomes the first woman of Asian descent and the second woman overall to win best director. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, Chloe yeah. Zhao. Is the other woman who's won it Catherine Bigelow? Yes. For the Hurt Locker? Yes. Tears. You know who her ex-husband is, don't you? The, is it the Avatar guy? Hmm. It's another director. It is. It's another famous director. It's, it's not James Cameron. It is. It is. Oh, okay. Yeah. What a power couple. No longer together, Very but silly. amazing. Her, our musician queen, is now halfway to egotting because she now has an Oscar for best original song. Okay. Which I thought was so cool because I'm I don't know necessarily when she got started in the field, but when it comes to like relevance and how the media is paying attention to her, she's relatively new. She's been on the scene for maybe two or three years now, and she's mm-hmm. already halfway to EGOTing. Like, let's get her on Broadway. Yeah, that's impressive. I think I would imagine like of the EGOT awards, the Oscar is probably the hardest to win. Mm-hmm. I would I would guess, you know, like if I'm thinking about it, you know. Frances McDormand's Best Actress win now makes her the most decorated living actress in the Academy Awards history. Ahead of Meryl Streep? Oh, yeah. Meryl Streep's been nominated way more times than she's won. Mm. I always thought Meryl Streep is the queen of Hollywood, but I guess it's Frances now. I mean, she is. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Meryl Streep. But there's, there's something about Frances McDormand's acting and what I love about her is she always looks inconvenienced at award shows. Like she's always <laughs> like, all right, I'm here. Whatever. Yes. Like she doesn't care. Like she's never been really like Hollywood. Like mm-hmm. that's not her jive. And I love that about her. Like she just does not care. Mm-hmm. And I love her. Have you ever seen Fargo? I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's great. Like you should look into it. Also, she like, she's married to one of the Coen brothers and they're also like, major mainstays in Hollywood so that that helps a little bit I'm not saying that her success is automatically a result of being married to one of the Coen brothers but you know partnerships mm-hmm, definitely okay <laughs> she's also the first woman to win best actress and best picture for the same film which I thought was interesting that is cool 
And that's pretty much all I had for my Academy Awards notes. I did want to shout out Regina King because in my opinion, she should have been nominated for Best Director for One Night in Miami, but also her dress was my favorite of the night. Hers was pretty cool. I did watch the red carpet. I liked hers and I liked, yeah, I, Regina King's was like very cool. It was very ethereal looking. It was like uh, a butterfly Louis Vuitton moment. Ugh, I love her. I love mm-hmm. her so much. That's pretty much all I had about it. I'm happy for everyone who won. I'm excited for all the records that have been broken and set by the newcomers and yay movies. <laughs> I have a question for you before you move on. Of course. Um, so am I wrong in thinking that they always end the show with the best picture? Or- okay, it's you're, it's interesting that you brought that up because this is not the first time that best picture has not been the last award of the night. Mm-hmm. I think so many people were um, banking on the other categories. Do you remember what, what was the last one of the night? I'm pretty sure it was best actor. Okay, see, so there it you was go. Like the upset, but also like the fact that it was in a different order than normal. Everyone was just kind of like, what the hell? Oh, yeah, know. it's it's happened before. It's very rare that it happens, but I hate to say this, but I think a lot of people knew that Nomadland was going to win, so it wasn't right. much of a race. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why. Also, like, I remember when I woke up in the middle of the night and I checked my tally and I saw that Best Picture had already been announced. I was like, that's weird. But then (laughs) I went back to sleep. But then I did my research and it has happened before. I can't remember what ceremony, but yes, it's it's happened before. It's not a common occurrence, but it happens. Is it deliberate or is it an error? Does the wrong person get up like for their presentation? Like what what happens? No, it was it was deliberate, I, I believe. Okay. From what well, I know, it was on purpose. I'm glad Anthony Hopkins did not get his Oscar as a result of, you know, any sort of mix up backstage. God, do you remember when Moonlight went over to La La Land? <laughs> I was in Annabelle's room and I literally began to cry. Like, I don't know if you remember that, but I was literally yelling. I was like, this isn't funny. Stop joking around. Like, I was- The fact that they said La La Land and then they were like, psych. Like everyone had already gathered on stage. And like, wait a second. Like, oh my gosh, what an iconic moment. Yeah. I'm never gonna forget that. I don't know how you mess something up like that, to be honest. Like, did the envelope get switched? What happened? Everybody kept blaming Warren Beatty because he was the one with the envelope, but I don't remember what happened, but they've made sure that that should not happen in the future. Mm-hmm. So we can hope that it doesn't happen, but honestly, wouldn't be a mad again because that would make for some good television. I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty funny. I gotta say, oh, you know who else looked good on the red carpet? I think Andre Day, Carrie Mulligan, and Zendaya all look really I agree good. with all of those. I remember what they were wearing exactly to a T and they all looked stunning. I mean, Zendaya always looks good, but like there's a lot of yellow. There was a lot of yellow. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan was in like this gold, if I remember, yes. off the shoulder. Yeah, it was, I'm looking at it right now. It was a strapless dress and it had kind of like a cutout in the middle, like under the bust and like kind of at the waist level. And then it had this big full skirt. It was like a very like, almost like a modern take on like Belle's dress. Oh, yes. Should have been in the movie instead of whatever that was. Emma Watson. Alyssa hates the Beauty and the Beast remake. Because, okay, if 
we're not going to get into this, but one day I will talk about why I don't like the Beauty and the Beast remake. And one of the reasons was that travesty of a gown that they put Emma Watson in. I think we should do a hot takes of Hollywood episode. Oh my God, I would love that. <laughs> we can do a no, special. I would love that. Okay. For so, like our 20th, 50th episode down the line. Heck like yeah. That. Just go down my list. I'll start making it now. Okay. So the next thing I have to talk about are the secret Grammy committees. <gasps> so the Recording Academy announced this week that they will be eliminating quote unquote secret nomination review committees for future ceremonies. And most people, including myself, when they read this, they were like, what, what, what are you talking about secret committees? So basically the secret nomination committees had the ultimate say over certain nominations in certain categories. Mm-hmm. And the RA has said that the nominees will quote, now be determined by a majority peer-to-peer vote of voting members of the Recording Academy. Okay. And quote, giving further validation to the peer recognized process. And it's like, yeah, that's what you should have been doing all along Recording Academy. What the hell? Anyways, these, (laughs) sorry. I also wrote these notes like this morning and my cat was like bothering the hell out of me, like trying to make me pay attention to him. So my Mm -hmm. chicken scratch is terrible. (laughs) These said committees are made up of 15 to 30 highly skilled anonymous music peers, and they became a source of controversy following the weekend's highly publicized announcement that he would boycott future Grammys due to the committees. The former Recording Academy chief, Deborah Dugan, has had criticisms on these secret committees in the past, and she filed a legal complaint in 2020 alleging corruption and insider dealing Mm -hmm. and claimed these committees, quote, pushed forward artists with whom the committees had relationships with, manipulated the process to ensure certain art would be nominated, added artists that the larger Recording Academy members had not voted on at all. Mm -hmm. and allowed artists under consideration to sit on the committees for their categories. Okay. Which I call bull mess on. But, ugh, I'm just, I'm like, what, what is going on that we have allowed this to happen for so long? Like, we knew, we knew the Grammys had problems. All of these award shows have problems. But the fact that they allowed, like, artists that were nominated to sit and vote on the categories that they were nominated in? Excuse you, well, what the hell? Conflict of interest, like shouldn't they leave the room and excuse themselves for the vote? Absolutely they should. I mean, our sorority figured that out. Hello? <laughs> like when we were trying to elect people for office, if you were on the committee who helped confirm nominations, if you were running for something, you had to leave when your position you were running for is being talked about. The Recording Academy needs to take notes from Delta Gamma. Anyways. Well, it's not rocket science. <laughs> So on this, the Record Academy chief, the current one, Harvey Mason Jr., commented that the changes were intended to, quote, further refine and protect the integrity of the awards process, to which I say, you should have been doing this a long time ago because the integrity has been questioned for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Other changes include they are going to implement two new categories to next year and future award ceremonies they are best global music performance and best musica urbana album 
which I thought was really cool. I'm going to have to look more into that and see what exactly that entails. And, you know, my biased brain, when I read best global music performance, I couldn't help but think of a certain group. I wonder why. I was like, I wonder who that's directed at. They definitely sound like more internationally friendly awards, which is a good thing. Yes, definitely. Uh, Anyways. (laughs) Maybe we can get more K-pop in there and more like other things going on too. <laughs> I would love, I would love to see Blackpink at the Grammys. They would tear shit up. Like oh, they would. They would. Oh Lord. Do you know who Blackpink is? I know who Blackpink is. Oh, okay, cool. Just checking. Anyways. Okay. So other changes that are going to be made are they are going to limit categories in which recording Academy members may vote, quote, to ensure music creators are voting you know, not necessarily in the categories that they're nominated in, but they want to make sure that people who are voting in certain categories are knowledgeable about music, aka make it, and are qualified to speak about the categories, which I'm totally for, you know, as long as you are not voting in a category that you are nominated in, by all means, go ahead and voice your opinion about these things. I totally agree. That's pretty much all my notes, but I just wanted to like talk about the Grammys again because I spent so much time in the past few weeks talking about like Grammys and certain award shows. And I'm glad that the Recording Academy is taking some initiative to get rid of this because I think they realized that it hurt them tremendously. And I hate that it took, you know, the failing ratings and viewership of this past Grammy Awards, plus all the controversies. Well, what I find interesting, and if you just think about this logically, because of COVID and because people are home more often now, you would think that they would have more viewers because there's like not really anything better to do on a Sunday night for a lot of people right now. Mm -hmm. So I think that just goes to show like, there's fundamentally a flaw there if they're not even like able to sustain normal levels of viewers when people are home all the time. Oh yeah. And I get maybe with the Oscars that could be a little bit different because people aren't going out to movies and some of these movies that were nominated were available on streaming platforms but like you said they're not always the most user-friendly or the most like viewer friendly of films to watch Mm -hmm. so maybe not everybody's choice on a Friday night in. But for music, I mean, that doesn't really have a big impact on like, I don't know, like you're going to be listening to music regardless of what's going on, probably. Oh, yeah. Like music is so much more accessible. Yes, thank you. That's a better word for it. So, no, I totally understand that. I am still about the business that these award shows need to move what night they are doing this to like Saturday night Mm -hmm. because there's another one that's coming up soon. The Billboard Music Awards. They Mm -hmm. announced their nominees this past weekend. And I was like, oh, I wonder when the ceremony is. It's a Sunday night. And I'm like, great. Another thing that I can't tune into because of my schedule. But just move the ceremony, especially... You know, the Grammys and the Academy Awards, no tea, no shade, but normally their audiences are a little bit older. Yeah. At least for like things like the MTV Music Awards or like the Billboard Music Awards, I feel like they skew a little younger. Mm -hmm. So 
take advantage of it. People are home, not as much as they were at the beginning of the pandemic, but like put it on like a Saturday night. What, what how would that hurt you? <laughs> Please tell me. Or even like a Thursday Ooh. or something like that. Like, I don't know. Cause Thursday, like in college, it was a popular night to go out, but Heck maybe yeah, it was maybe not so much as an adult, but it's still like, I don't know. People do things on the weekend, but they're probably home on a Thursday night. I don't know. Just spitballing here. No, but you know. But I mean, it's also like Friday is also like universally the least productive day of work. So you're like, screw it. I may as well stay up and watch the Grammys or the Oscars as opposed to a Sunday where you're like, oh, I have the whole week ahead of me. I got to go to bed early for work, you know? Exactly. Thank you for holding my opinion strong. Of course, that's why we're co-hosts. Heck yeah. We're going to get nominated for a Grammy next <laughs> next year. Oh, and sorry, last thing to be noted that these decisions will all be implemented immediately at the next Grammy Awards in 2022. So all that's right. all I have to say. You got anything else for us this week? Um. Oh, my second husband's birthday is today, aka May 2nd. So shout out to him. Do you know? that is I can't say I know like the priority list of your husband so enlighten me which the second one is it's the rock's birthday today oh no way okay yeah my other husband's birthday isn't until September so he's a baby too I love other May babies he may baby and yesterday was my friend Haley's birthday shout out so got a lot of May babies to take care of in the next coming weeks including Miss Annabelle coming up what what end of the month i'm turning the big two five i'm slightly terrified i don't know why i feel like i'm gonna start like having back problems and i don't know sorry it just seems like a big drop off it's like your brain stops developing like am i gonna get dumber now instead of smarter is that what Also, I love that you said my back is going to start hurting. My back has been hurting since I was like 14. So Babe, I'm sorry. You got to go to a chiropractor. That's I know good. I do. I would love for someone to just crack all my bones. Like it would <laughs> honestly, like that's like a thing that's been on my priority list since like I've had time to think about it in the pandemic. I'm like, when things get normal, I'm going to go to a chiropractor. <laughs> we support it. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us this week. Thank you for your bearing with us during our tangents about viral YouTube videos about being pregnant and um, things of that nature. So we'll talk to you guys next week. We'll have more stories about the entertainment industry and the big bad world of business. Until then, have a good week, everybody. See you. Yay!